We're in our third week of our Listening Prayer in Bounds series. And, uh, and the, the basis of this series is the uh, two sides of the Hearing God coin, okay? There's two sides to the Hearing God coin. On the one side is the fact that the Bible tells us that hearing God is life. And we know that not just from the Bible, but from personal experience. Uh, hearing God is wonderful. It's amazing. And many of you here today have had experiences of hearing God's voice. And it's, it's life. It's necessary. We need to hear God's voice more. Uh, but on the other side of the hearing God coins, so on the one side we have life, it's necessary, it's wonderful, it's amazing. On the other side of the coin is uh, many of us know of people or, uh, or know them personally or whatever it is, and they're, and they're often good people, they're not bad people, but for whatever reason, they thought they heard God telling them to do something, and they've gone totally off the rails. They've, done, uh, they've made grave errors in judgment, okay? They've made big mistakes that cost them a lot, all because they thought they heard God. So on the one side, we've got hearing God is wonderful. On the other side, you know, there's this danger side of sometimes when people think they're hearing God, they're really not. And so what we're doing in this series is we're putting in place some biblical guidelines, how to seek God's will for your life, how to listen in prayer for God's will in your life, and do it safely. Now by safely, I don't mean that God is safe. Sometimes God's going to tell you to do things that are just plain not safe. We don't serve a tame God. When I talk about being safe, I mean safe from ourselves, okay? That's what this message series is about. It's not about keeping you safe from God. It's about keeping you safe from yourself. And so we're putting in place some biblical guidelines of how to hear God. And these biblical guidelines are not going to suppress you from hearing God. Whenever, whenever we take guidelines out of the Bible, guidelines out of the Bible do not make it harder to hear God. They make it better and easier. And I think as we go through this series, people are going to feel safer about this thing of hearing God. All right? And so we've been working through the guidelines. We're only in guideline number one. We've been on it for three weeks now, and I'm not even going to finish it today. Okay? And I'll just apologize in advance. Uh, Pastor Ray is actually, he's got to preach the next three weeks. And so I'm, apo- no, I'm not apologizing for that part, by the way. That sounded bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Ray, I speak for three. No. Um, and then he's going to be gone for a while. So he has another series. He's going he's to do a series on the family. We're not done the listening prayer series, okay? So we're just going to put it on pause. And, uh, because, and you know what? We just can. So we're going to do it. So he's going to do another series. And then we'll come back and finish this one, okay? Just so you know, because I won't finish this today. But anyway. Uh, guideline number one we've been looking at, and there's other guidelines we'll get to uh, after, uh, you know, when we come back to this series in a few weeks, but um, guideline number one is uh, when you think you've been hearing God, okay, when you think you've been hearing God, before you act, first look for confirmation. Okay, that's wisdom. Again, this is not to keep you safe from God. This is to keep you safe from yourself. Because just because a thought comes into your head doesn't mean it's from God. It could, be, uh, it could be just a mistake you've made. It could be just some random thought. It could be your flesh speaking, your desires speaking, pride speaking. It could be an evil spirit speaking. But just because a thought comes to your mind doesn't mean it's from God. And so we have to look for confirmation. When you think it's coming from God, first look for, for confirmation, okay, before you do something. And, uh, and so the Bible gives us many tests that we can use. And this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. It helps us in all of this, okay? And the Bible gives us many texts, all right? Now, we're just looking at six in this series. We looked at two last week. We're going to look at two again this week. Um, but we're taking all six of these tests from one story in the New Testament. But if you just read through the entire Bible, you're going to find many more tests. In fact, uh, one person commented to me last week, they're like, 
I was hoping that you would talk about the test from Acts chapter 1. And if you read Acts chapter 1, the disciples, okay, these are godly men, are trying to figure out God's will for which disciple should replace Judas. And so they throw dice, okay? I'm not putting that one in the series. Okay, that's out. Um, I don't know why it worked back then, but I don't recommend it now, okay? So that's a different message. But anyway, but six tests, uh, you can find many other ones in the Bible. These six all come from one story. It's Acts chapter 10 to 11, and it's the famous story. Just a little bit of review for those of you who were not here last week. It's a famous story of the first Gentile convert, right? And so Peter's going to go into a Gentile's home. Jewish people did not do that. And so God speaks to Peter, and then Peter doesn't even believe it's God speaking to him, so God has to give him a bunch of confirmations, and then, uh, and then Peter gives these confirmations to the church to show them that it really was God speaking to him, okay? Now we're going to pray, then I'm going to read that story again, because I know some of you weren't here last week, so we're just going to read it again. It's good to read these things over, and then we're going to get into uh, test the confirmation number three, all right? Pick up from where last week ended off. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Uh, First of all, again, I just want to praise you throughout this whole series. I praise you because you love to speak to us, and you do not just speak to the spiritual, the hyper-spiritual, the super smart, the skilled, whatever. You just speak to normal people. And I really love that, and it's amazing. And the whole point of these messages in this series, Jesus, is not to make it harder for people to hear you. It's to make it better. It's to make it uh, wiser, Father, so that we can be protected from ourselves as we seek to hear what you're really saying to us. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would really come into this place here this morning and that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, the spiritual eyes of our hearts, Lord, and give us a desire to obey you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so I'm going to, I'll just read the story. We read it last week, but I'll read it again. Uh, Acts chapter 11, and we're going to see the six points of confirmation. Wonderful, amazing story. I love that God includes stories like these all over the Bible. Because like I said, each of these six points of confirmation that Peter has to get are the same points of confirmation that you and I can look for and receive in our own lives, in our day-to-day lives, as we're seeking to know what God's speaking to us about. All right? So Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Okay? So this is not a good thing. This is unheard of. What are you doing, Peter? Okay? So Peter's going to have to explain himself, right? So then Peter told him exactly what happened. So now he's, he's got to tell them the story now of how he knows that what he did was led by God. And it's going to take more than, guys, I just had a thought come into my head, and so I'm sure it's God. It's going to take a little more confirmation than that. So here's a story, and he's going to have six points of confirmation. All right? I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, wild animals, reptiles, and birds. So these are foods that Gentiles would eat, but Jews were not allowed to eat. All right? And, uh, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied. So here Peter hears God's voice, okay? And this is where many of us, right? You're in your life, and you're praying, or whatever's happening, and God speaks to you, and, the, you, and you're not, okay, was that God? So Peter hears God's voice, okay? But he's not sure this is God. He's not going to act on the first thought that just goes through his brain. That's wise, Okay? So I heard a voice. He says, no, Lord, no. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Now this happened 
three times. Okay, and here's Peter's first confirmation as we talked about last week. It's not just a, you know, one time it comes into your head, Peter's thinking, well, maybe it's just because I'm hungry. Okay, that's why I'm thinking about eating snakes and, and squirrels and stuff like that. Okay, but, you know, three times in a row, it's like, okay, maybe God's trying to get my attention, right? So the fact that it happens three times, it's a repeated vision, repeated word, repeated thought, whatever it is, is a good clue, a good confirmation that maybe this is God speaking, right? So this happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Verse 11, just then three men who had been sent from uh, Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. So here's a second confirmation. His first confirmation is the vision doesn't go away. Just keeps coming back. Second confirmation is the moment he and the, the third vision ends, and right at that moment, three Gentiles show up at his door. That's quite a coincidence. It's quite a coincidence, right? Well, circumstances, there's a second comp- point of confirmation. Now, circumstances are beginning to line up with what he thinks he's hearing, okay? So the Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here, speaking of some uh, Jewish companions, uh, c- accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us, who is, we know from chapter 10, the Roman centurion Cornelius. And he told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Here we have a, a third piece of confirmation, another bit of circumstances coming in line. This man, this, this uh, Gentile centurion, Cornelius, has never met Peter, and yet he has a, a dream where he sees Peter, he knows Peter's name, and he knows where he lives, okay? This is pretty good confirmation, right? At this point, Peter's going, I think God's in this, right? So you've got all these things lining up, repeated visions, circumstances. This guy sees a vision, he knows where Peter lives. Okay, this, I think this is God, all right? So we keep reading. He will, tell you how, he will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, and now we're going to come to the test of confirmation where we're going to park for a while. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And this is the test of confirmation. We're going to park for a little bit. God's blessing follows Peter's obedience. I mean, if there's any doubt left in Peter's mind, right? If there's any doubt after the repeated visions, men show up at his door right when one vision ends. This guy saw Peter, knew where he lived in a vision. If he wasn't convinced by those three, he's, all his doubts are coming crashing down now because the moment he steps out in faith and begins to speak, the Holy Spirit falls on these, on these people and they're, uh, they're confessing their sins, they're speaking in tongues, and they're giving their lives to Jesus. And obviously God is in this, right? That's good fruit. He's blessing. As Peter steps out, oh, okay, ha, huh, is this God? He steps out, and now there's God's blessing on his obedience. That's a major point of confirmation. So I'm just going to finish the passage of Scripture. We're going to come back to that because we're going to park there for a little bit. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's another point of confirmation, which we'll talk about at the end of the message, which is Scripture passage. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. His final bit of confirmation is that other godly, spirit-filled believers come in line and, and in agreement with him and say, yeah, that's God. Right? And they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. So let's look at the third test of confirmation. Now, last week, again, we looked at the first two there, words, thoughts, pictures, which keep getting repeated, circumstances, which come together with what you're hearing. And now, for the first half of this message, I want to talk about God's blessing follows your obedience, okay? If it's really God speaking to you, okay, as you step out in faith, 
God's blessing follows your obedience. Now, I want to just preface that by saying something. I'm going to share a lot of stories. This message is going to be filled with a lot of uh, stories because we need to see how these things apply to our everyday lives, okay? And I'm going to show you how this, how this applies. But I just want to make sure that you don't get the wrong idea of blessing. When I say God's blessing follows your obedience, I don't mean that if God's calling you to do something, it's going to be super easy, you're going to make lots of money, everything's going to grow, and it's going to be successful in terms of what the world defines as success. I'm not saying that at all. Often, following God and doing what he says means it can be painful, it can require perseverance, and sometimes the fruit he gives isn't what the world views as success. So I just want to preface it by saying that. But having said that, as Peter steps out in obedience, how does Peter know God's working in this is God shows up. God shows up and starts saving people, right? And so we can look for God's blessing. This is, and, and this is an important point of confirmation we can look for, okay? Let me just share a couple of uh, stories. Not even, you know, major stories or anything like that. Just minor stories that show how this process can work in your mind, okay? And I should say this too. These, some people might be thinking, you've got to get all this confirmation before you even start obeying. That's not actually how it works. I've been saying over and over again in this series, getting confirmation is not a science. It's a relationship, Right? Some of these confirmations are coming as you take your, begin to take your initial steps of obedience, right? It's not, it's not that you're waiting for all this confirmation before you step out. Peter had to step out after just a couple of confirmations. And then as he's moving, God's confirming more and more, right? But uh, anyway, I remember back, uh, again, I've shared lots of, uh, of moving back here to Manitoba and my story and stuff in this series. And uh, back in 2000, that was uh, the year when I moved uh, back here to Manitoba, and uh, I was going to the U- University of Manitoba. I was not working here then. Um, but me and another couple here, we began to feel like, you know, maybe God was calling us to start some kind of a young adult ministry here at Southland. Okay? Now, of course, 11 years later here, and we see the fruit of this thing. And, and I mean, Donovan's doing an amazing job with the young adults now and stuff. But, I mean, I mean now 11 years later, it's obvious that having a young adult ministry is an important thing for a church to have. But 11 years ago, it wasn't obvious. In fact, I don't know of any other young adult ministries that were going uh, anywhere in the community other than, I'm sure, you know, there were some churches that might have had a small group or a Bible study or a cell group. But there, you know, young adult ministry wasn't here at this church. It wasn't really here in this community, okay? And now it's a huge part of what we do as a church. But uh, anyway, we just had this, this feeling. And again, following God, it's never like you're 100% sure. It's not like we just said, oh, God is definitely most certainly calling us to do this, and we're going to step out, and it's going to be successful. We had no idea. We just had this niggling thing. We kept coming up in prayer, and as we are talking about it, we thought, you know what? I, I think, why don't we just try something, okay? And that's kind of where we came out at, all right? And so, and so we decided to step out, and, and we were thinking, you know, maybe we'll get, because, I mean, the church was much smaller then. We thought, you know, maybe we'll get six, eight, ten people that we can start to minister to. Okay? And again, now looking back and everybody kind of giggles and goes, well, that's ridiculous. Okay? But, you know, we just started. We don't know, right? Is God speaking? I think he is. So you take that initial step of obedience. And we just started, you know, we were going to have some events and some Bible studies and stuff. So, so we had our first Bible studies and meetings uh, in, this, in this home. And I forget how many showed up at the first one. But by the third uh, uh, week that we were meeting, we had 60 people. Okay? And we had to move out of the home. 
and then we were in the church here, and there was just a hunger. I mean, right away, it was like right away, we stepped out. It's like, is God calling us to do this? You step out, and all of a sudden, you just see that there's this vacuum, and God's bringing people in, and they were hungry for prayer, and they were hungry for the word, and they were hungry for worship. And I mean, it was about a year later, we were up to about 100 people, and, and the church, it was really becoming a major source of heat and passion and stuff in the church. And so we go, oh, okay, well, that's God, right? Let me go. I mean, we weren't sure if we were hearing God, but as you step out, his Holy Spirit shows up and there's some good fruit and you go, okay, well then it's God and you have some confidence. Okay? This is, a, this is, a, this is an important thing. This is wisdom if for us to look for fruit when we think, if we think that we're hearing God ask us to do something. All right? I mean, I think of the encounter retreats. And again, here now, I mean, in, in 2011 here at Southland, it's just assumed. I mean, encounter retreats. Of course we do encounter retreats. I mean, who doesn't do encounter retreats, right? But you go back to 2003, 2004, um, you know, and nobody, no, people in North America, churches in North America don't do retreats, okay? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, if they do retreats, okay, there's like maybe a marriage retreat or a leader's retreat, and it's at a four-star hotel, okay? I mean, yeah, and then there's the youth retreats, but they don't count, okay? They're their own thing. You know, all youth go on retreats. But for church retreats, church-wide retreats, you look around North America, you want to do a retreat with your church, and you want to get people on board, and you want to get people doing stuff. You go to a four-star hotel, and you have like a marriage retreat, and you have some social stuff, and you have some fun, and, and that's what you do for retreats, okay? But you don't send people away to a place where, even though it is clean and nice, it certainly is, and the food is good, but it's a lot more like a dorm room, what you're staying in, right? Isn't that true? Than a four-star hotel. This is not a pattern for success in North America that this is what you're going to do for retreats. You're going to send them away to a dorm room for three days and two nights and have them dredge up all the negative stuff from their past, okay? So when we did, I mean, so Pastor Ray, back in 2003, 2004, he's feeling like God's saying to him, you got to help the church deal with sin, okay? But again, this isn't a science. He's not walking around trumpeting, God has said, you know, and we're going to do this encounter retreat, and it's going to be huge in 11 years and all this sort of stuff. Not at all. He's got this niggling feeling, and so through a series of events and some books and ideas we got from some other churches who were doing some things which are very different, but they use the name Encounter Retreat. Um, but anyway, through all that, God uses all of that, and we end up, you know, going for our first Encounter Retreat, February 2005. And I will tell you, Pastor Ray was extremely nervous, okay, very, very nervous. What is going to happen on this retreat? Is this really God, okay? And so we took 39 people on that first retreat. And, you know, and we only went for one night. The first one was only one night. We thought, I mean, it'd be crazy to try two nights in the first one, okay? We just went from one night, Friday night to Saturday afternoon. And, you know, right on the very first retreat there, I mean, there were so many mistakes we made. There were so many things we knew right away. We've got to change this. We've got to improve that, all sorts of stuff. There's lots of things, humanly speaking, that we didn't do right. But, you know, as we stepped out, and, and particular Pastor Ray, as he's leading us, as we stepped out, is this really God asking us to do this? We're, we're looking for a little bit of, bit of fruit. And in spite of all the human stuff that we didn't do right, we knew immediately that God was in this thing because he showed up. You say, how do you know that he showed up? Well, I mean, there's many stories I could, I could share. Let me just share with you one story of something that happened that first weekend. And we're like, God is in this thing. And what happened was on Saturday uh, afternoon, um, Pastor Ray was going to do a demonstration of inner healing because we're going to get people in their, in their pairs praying with each other and doing all this stuff. And again, now here in the church, inner healing, oh, no problem. I mean, we could do a mass inner healing session right here and most of you would be pumped, okay? No problem. But at that time, okay, that's not no problem. So Pastor Ray wanted to do a fake demonstration, get a volunteer up, 
not a real issue, and you show people principles, and then they do it on each other, okay? And so he's very nervous. He's very, very nervous when this starts, okay? So he gets a volunteer, wonderful man, and he still comes to church here and is heavily involved in stuff, great guy. And this guy comes up on, on little stage there, and, you know, 39 people watching this thing, and, uh, and so they're just going to do a fake demonstration of inner healing. Well, the only problem with doing fake demonstrations is when the Holy Spirit shows up and decides it's going to be real, okay? And so this guy comes up thinking he's just going to do a little demonstration. Holy Spirit shows up in that room. Next thing we know, this guy in front of 39 other people is bawling his eyes out, bearing his soul, and the Holy Spirit is doing this deep, deep work inside of him and, giving, and like doing a major healing on this guy in front of everybody else. And we're just going, whoa, whoa. See, God showed up. There was lots of stories like that. As we, people were confessing their sins, lots of mistakes we made. But in spite of all that, as people were confessing their sins and praying, God was speaking, God was showing up. We did a couple more retreats, so we thought, okay, God showed up at that one. We did a couple more retreats. It was obvious within two or three retreats that God was in this thing in a massive way. Because when God is really calling you to do something, he's going to bless what he's called you to do. And so now, I mean, six years later, uh, I mean, it's just now it's, again, it's a no-brainer. We know God has been all over this thing. We give him all the credit. We say it was his idea. And there's no, not even doubt in our mind. I mean, I asked Corey Lynn for some stats. We've now done 42 retreats. We've had uh, over 3,200 people go on these retreats. Uh, I mean, we now have a second, a follow-up retreat to the encounter, which is the Empower. We've got people regularly coming from BC and Ontario. We have churches from Winnipeg and all over southern Manitoba regularly sending groups of people on our encounters. Why? Because God shows up there. And he blesses it. We've seen people restored to ministry who had fallen out of ministry because of sin. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen amazing deliverances and inner healings and physical healings even recently. Just recent retreats that we've done saw a woman healed of a major jaw uh, issue, another woman healed of a major lung injury, stuff like that. So God shows up. Well, when God shows up, Holy Spirit, uh, Peter began to speak. Holy Spirit fell on these people. Peter goes, see guys, God's in this thing. And we can do the same thing. Now, people ignore this test of confirmation at their peril. I've seen people ignore this one, and, and it's at their own peril. I mean, I think, I'm thinking of one person in particular. And again, often they're good people. It's not that they're bad people. But misguided, lack of wisdom. And I remember uh, one person in particular that comes to my mind, and, and they were very sure God was talking to them about something. And they came in uh, and to- told different staff at, d- at various times, and several different staff here at Southland, at different times, different places, without discussing with each other, told them, this is not from God. This is not God speaking to you. This is not from God. You shouldn't do it. Well, I mean, that's the first thing. That's one of the tests we'll get to later on, which is, what are other godly people saying? Okay? This person was so convinced, because it feels, he, you know, our hearts can be deceptive. They, it just felt like God. And so they, w- they went ahead with this thing that they felt God was telling them to do. And, you know, right away, within a week of doing it, you could see that God wasn't blessing this thing. It was just dead end after, you know, dead end after painful, after loss, after no fruit, after nothing happening. God's not doing anything here. And, you know, they persisted for a year, and finally the whole thing just collapsed all around them. And it was horrible. It's a horrible mess. And I use the word there, persistent, uh, uh, you know, very loosely. That's actually not persistence. That's stubbornness. And sometimes in our human pride, we can get all excited. I'm just going to persevere through this thing. You know, if God hasn't called you to it, it's not perseverance. It's stubbornness. 
And so if you take a step out in faith, something you think God's calling to you, if you take a step out in faith and God doesn't show up and there's no good fruit, you might want to go back to the drawing board and make sure it's really from God. Okay, and of course the question is, and I need to define this now a little better, what does it mean that God blesses what you're doing? And I said before already that blessing doesn't necessarily mean success in, in a way that the world define success. It doesn't mean everything's going to go hunky-dory because there is a place for perseverance. Certainly following God can have its ups and it can have its downs and it can have its bad days and down days and down months and times where you're just unsure and things are dark and things are hard. No question. So what does it mean that God is blessing what you're doing? How do we really put this test to the test and use this in our lives? And blessing, it essentially means two things, okay? It means that if God is really leading you, He's going to provide everything you need in order to carry out what he's told you to do. And number two, it means that he's going to produce some good fruit. And by that, I mean spiritual fruit at the very least. Those two things. That, that's what I mean by blessing. By blessing, I don't mean easy, lots of money, lots of success in the eyes of the world. No. I mean that God will provide everything you need in order to carry out what you think he's called you to do. If it's really him, he'll provide everything you need. And if it's really him, there's going to be some good fruit somewhere, even if it's just spiritual fruit. Okay? So let me show you this, okay? First of all, how to know when God is blessing something? Number one, he provides, okay? Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need. Okay, I'm going to get you guys to say that with me, okay? I'm going to start at the, and when I get to every, then you all join in, right? Most of you can read English, so let's do that together, all right? And my God will supply every need. Not some needs, not half, not on a good day, bad day, spiritual needs, all sorts of stuff. My God will supply Every need, spiritual, physical, financial, and every other kind, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, this is an amazing promise. This is a rock-solid promise, 100% of the time. It's in God's word. It's a contract from God with his people. He'll never break this one. My God will supply every need according to his riches in Jesus Christ. Now, there is an if in this passage, and some people go, what? There's an if? I don't see an if. The if has to do with the word need, right? I mean, God is not promising here to supply everything we want. He's promising to supply everything we need, okay? If I go out tomorrow morning, Monday is my day off. If I go out tomorrow morning and buy myself a Cadillac Escalade, okay? By the way, I don't even really want one. But if God's leading you to give me one, that I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, just I don't want to just rule anything out here. God may be speaking in this series. But, but, uh, but you know, if I go out tomorrow and buy myself a Cadillac Escalade, and the bill comes due whenever it comes due in a month or two months or six months, whatever, they can trap you with by telling you you don't have to pay for a certain amount of time. But anyway, um, when the bill comes due, and now I take this to God and I say, God, you have promised to supply my every need. This bill needs to be paid, so I'm going to need your help. Now, what's God going to say to that, okay? Something like along the lines of, you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> you know, God is not obligated if I go and do something stupid and spend something, you know, way out of my budget, he's not obligated to supply all of my wants. He's also not obligated to provide to help me get out of situations that I've put myself into by not listening to him. He's not obligated to do that. The if here is, he's only obligated to supply every one of our needs. Now, what's a need? I'll tell you what a need is, okay? Here's a need. Anything you need in order to accomplish whatever God has called you to do. That's a need. God has promised to supply everything you need in order to carry out whatever tasks he's actually called you to do. Now, if 
in human pride, now pride can sneak into so many things, especially with hearing God. If in your human pride, you decide to go out and do more than God's called you to do, you're going to run into a lack, you're going to run into dead ends and a lack of provision. If you bite off more than what he's called you to do because you just want some grandiose plan or vision or dream or whatever, but it's not actually what God's calling you to do, you're going to run into a lack of provision. You're going to start to run into dead ends. He says, I will supply everything you need in order to accomplish the tasks I've given you to do. And this is such a great rock-solid promise. It's a wonderful way to look for confirmation. Is God really asking me to do this? Because as I step out in faith, is he providing finances, energy, you know, people, connections, all the things that need to happen in order to accomplish this task I think he's called me to do. And if I go back again, uh, I've been just was so blessed growing up that I got to see these principles uh, in action. I, I got to live and, and, and look and watch them going on around me. And of course, the story I've alluded to a number of times in this series, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing some of these stories up. And I think they're just Part of the reason he did, God had my dad, that's Pastor Ray, do some of these things was, I think, to build everybody else's faith as well. Um, but uh, I'll never forget, I was about five years old when God called my dad, that's Pastor Ray again, and, and to start a church with no support, no financial backing, nothing like that, in a whole brand new city, Woodstock in southern Ontario. Okay, we didn't have any connections there. You know, we didn't know a bunch of rich people there. We had no church sending us or paying us as missionaries. God just talked to dad and said, uh, I want you to start a church in Woodstock. Now again, as I've been saying throughout this whole series, hearing God is not a science. It's not like Pastor Ray was 100% convinced, I know exactly what God's calling me to do. I know exactly how it's going to turn out. This is no problem. We're just going to follow him. That's not that at all. Okay, Pastor Ray, dealt, there was deep doubts. And is this really God? And one of the things Pastor Ray understood, or the dad understood, was this principle right here. He un- understood it implicitly. He knew that if God's really calling me to do it, God is going to provide everything I need. So one of the things he went to God wa- with was this. He said to God, if this is really you, then you're going to have to take care of me and my family. Okay? And so this is what he said to God. He said, I'm not going to go in my human effort and try to drum up all kinds of support. I'm not going to go begging on doors. I'm not going to tell anyone I need money. I'm not going to send out any letters. If this is really you, you're going to have to provide. Okay? Now I want you to picture this. Okay? Imagine that you have four kids, okay? Now, the oldest one is, is really well-behaved and makes things easy for you, so that's wonderful. And the other three, well, whatever, okay? But, uh, um, but okay, so you have four kids. I don't know how I got on that, but anyway. So you have four kids. Okay, you have no money. Now, some people talk about not having any money, but they have some investments holed up somewhere, or they have a rich daddy somewhere who will, they can fall back on, or they have, you know, whatever. They own a house or something. You have four kids, and you have nothing, okay? Zero, zippo. Okay? You move to a brand new city. Okay? You, you're living in a hotel. You don't even have a place to stay. The first two days and two nights, you don't know where you're going to live, and you're staying in a motel for the first two days and two nights. Now, you are going to find out very quickly whether or not God called you to do this or not, aren't you? Because you're going to just find it with provision. And you know one of the things that's so amazing is we never once went hungry. Dad moved us to Woodstock there, like I said, the first two days in a motel. He took that step of faith. And do you know that, that money and groceries started to pour in from different places? We never once asked for money. We never once said a letter. We had no one supporting us. I'll never forget. I, and I can remember, ton, I have tons of memories of this. I remember one, one memory in particular. We have nothing in the fridge. We have, hear a knock at the door. And this family, okay, that we had known from the past, shows up with bags and bags of groceries. Not a pizza. 
You know, not, you know, a couple of bananas or, a, you know, a, you know a, a turkey or something like that. You, that would have been fine too. But bags and bags of groceries to fill our fridge. And he said, you were just at the, the supermarket just now and your name just came to mind and we thought we'd buy you a fridge full of groceries, okay? Stuff like that over and over again. Do you know, in the first, I mean, the first two years that we were out there, um, uh, we, I mean, dad wasn't drawing a salary because you're starting a church from scratch, Okay, we didn't have, I mean, when we started that church, us four kids were a voting majority, okay? There was four of us and three adults. <laughs> Mom and dad and a pianist who felt sorry for us, okay? So there's no salary in that, okay? And do you know that in the first six months, $10,000 came in from various places in Canada, often from people we hadn't talked to in years. They would send checks in the mail with letters saying things like, I just, your name came to my mind. I can't get you off my mind. I'm just writing you a check if you need it. Stuff like that, $10,000 in six months. Those kind of checks kept coming week after week, month after month, for two years until the day when the church was big enough to start paying dad a salary, and then they stopped. Okay? That's provision. My God will supply all you need, according to his riches in Christ Jesus, if he's called you to do it. So as you step out in faith, you're going to see very quickly, Peter starts to speak, and the Holy Spirit shows up. Pastor Ray thinks, I think God's calling me to do this. So you step out and the provision comes. Ah, confirmation. It's confirmation that God's speaking, right? Amen? That's, that's, that's confirmation, right? And the second part, it's not just uh, um, provision. Also, good fruit is produced. Okay, in Acts eleven fifteen, 15, if we look at it again, as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so what was the fruit of Peter's actions? He's telling now these other believers who are being critical of him, they're saying, what were you doing, Peter? And he said, well, look what happened. I started talking to these Gentiles, which we always thought was a bad thing, and the Holy Spirit showed up. They started speaking in tongues, giving their lives to Jesus. Everybody goes, well, that seems like God's in this, right? Well, the same thing. When God calls you to do something, again, it's not necessarily going to be successful in the ways that the world thinks is successful. Lots of money, lots of people, lots of pizzazz, all that sort of stuff. Not necessarily. But the question you have to ask yourself is, about maybe a choice you're about to make or a choice you have made in the past is, what is the fruit of that decision? What is it doing in your marriage? What is it doing in your family? What is it doing in your life? What is it doing in other people? Because if there's no good fruit, if there's no good fruit, you need to go back to God and really make sure, God, is this really you? Is this really you? Because sometimes, like I said before, it can be your human pride, deceived. I'm going to take on this great thing for God. You got pumped up during the message. You decided to take out a step of faith. It's not faith if God hasn't asked you to do it. So we live by wisdom until God asks us to do something otherwise, and then it's faith, all right? Okay, so that's, that's the third test is God's blessing follows your obedience, all right? Uh, let's go to the fourth test now of confirmation that we can look for. And I've been looking forward to doing this test uh, for this entire series, Okay. I think this is, is one of the most powerful forms of confirmation we can get. I think it's certainly one of the most important forms of confirmation we can get, and that is a scripture passage. That when God is really calling you to do something, when the Holy Spirit gives you a scripture passage to confirm what he's calling you to do, that is one of the most important points of confirmation you can possibly get. And if we look at the story of Peter here in Acts chapter 11... Right after the Holy Spirit falls on these people, what happens? Then I thought of the Lord's words, okay? He's thinking of the words of Jesus, okay? When he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, when Peter is saying this, the book of Acts hasn't been written yet. So it's technically not in the Bible yet, but it's Jesus' words, you know, word for word, okay? And later that 
quote would end up in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. So he's, it's Scripture. And so he's got all these other confirmations, and now a passage of Scripture comes along into his mind that he can hang his hat on that explains what's going on and confirms what's going on. This is just an invaluable uh, source of confirmation. If God is asking you to do something big, I would just recommend to every single one of you that this point of confirmation, if, if, I mean, if some of the other ones get left out, you want to get this one. Because when you have a, a word from God in the word of God, from the word of God, it gives you something concrete to hold on to. It gives you something to anchor yourself in and go back to and look at and say, no, I really did hear from God, okay? And so it's really, really powerful. And so I want to share, I'm going to share with you, you know, three examples, three illustrations here. Uh, one again from when I was younger, Pastor Ray, one from my own life. And I'm going to share with you also at the end of this message uh, an audio from another pastor. It's a brand new story, and it's just a really good story. I want to share with you three examples of how God can speak to you and give you a word from Scripture, okay? But before I do that, I first have to explain to you something I think is really important, and it's how Scripture speaks to us. And I just have, because I've never heard anyone actually speak on this. I've heard there's a certain group of churches that they preach that the Bible speaks one way, and they're right, but it's incomplete. And there's another group of churches, they only preach that the Bible speaks this way, and they're also right, but it's incomplete, and this one can lead to abuse. And we have to realize that there's two ways Scripture speaks to us. We have to know how those ways relate to each other, and we have to make sure that way number two is submitted to number one so we don't get abuse, okay? And so I'm just going to explain this, and I'm going to look at some illustrations, but this is an absolutely powerful way in which God wants to speak to each of you here today, all right? And so let's look at the, at the two ways that Scripture speaks to us. The first way that Scripture uh, speaks to us is what it actually says. Okay, so there's some rocket science for you. How the Bible talks? Well, what it actually says, okay? And so let me explain what I mean by this, okay? If you want to know how to be saved, you don't do listening prayer. You don't just figure out what you believe by listening to someone on TV or reading a book or whatever. You open up the Bible and you look, what does the Bible actually say? And you look at passages like Romans 10, 9 to 10, and 6, 23, and 3, 23, and you look in the Gospels, and you find out that the Bible explicitly, clearly says that the only way to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so that's how you know. that The Bible talks to us. We say, well, that's how you're saved. And if you hear anything else in listening prayer, if you get anything else from somebody else or hear anything else on TV or anything like that, it's wrong because what the Bible actually says trumps everything. Okay? And if you want to know what's going to happen to me after I die, you don't do listening prayer. You don't consult, you know, some guru or some, you know, again, on TV, whatever it is. You open up your Bible. What does the Bible actually say? Well, you look up passages like 1 Corinthians 15 and many others like it, and you see that the Bible very clearly explains that for those people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, after they die, there's going to come a day when Jesus comes back to earth, they're going to get a resurrected body and live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. After he remakes the new heavens and new earth, we're going to live with him forever and ever here on the earth. So anything else, if you get anything else in listening prayer, if a book or something, someone on TV tells you anything differently, it's wrong because what the Bible actually says, that's the most important way the scripture speaks to us, okay? And it's the most authoritative, Okay, what, and if you want to find out any kind of doctrine or what's the most important thing, what's the most important commandment you read in the Bible, the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. These are all things the Bible actually says. 
and nothing you ever hear that contradicts it is right, okay? So what the Bible actually says, that's one way the Bible speaks to us. Now, there's a second way, however. This group of churches over here, we'll call them the over here churches, they love this way, and thank God that they do. We should all love this way that the Scripture speaks to us. But it's incomplete because there is another way that Scripture speaks to us that is absolutely powerful and wonderful and amazing and life-giving, and we all really, really need it so long as it stays submitted to number one. And the second way that Scripture speaks to us is what I call personalized words from Scripture, okay? Personalized words from Scripture. Here's what a personalized word from Scripture is. When a personalized word from Scripture happens whenever the Holy Spirit takes a verse from the Bible and applies it to the specific nitty-gritty details and circumstances of my life. Okay? So there's what the Bible actually says. Now, the, the number two must always be submitted to number one. Number two can never overrule number one. Number one can always overrule number two. But a personalized word from Scripture is a powerful way God loves to speak to his people, and it happens whenever God takes a verse from the Bible and pulls it out of its context and speaks it directly into the specific circumstances of your life. Okay? And I want to show you three illustrations now because this is a very powerful way for hearing God. It's an amazing way for you to get confirmation that you are actually hearing God correctly. Okay? But I want to just put a rule up. Ken, if you could just put the rule up. Uh, let's keep this rule in mind as I'm telling you these illustrations, okay? So here's the rule. Personalized words must always be submitted to everything the Scripture actually says and must never contradict anything else the Scripture actually says. Does that make sense, okay? Personalized words must always be submitted to everything the Scripture actually says and must never at any time contradict anything that the Scripture actually says. With that rule in mind, let me share with you a couple of stories, okay? And uh, if I go back again to the time when, when uh, God called Dad to move our family to Woodstock, okay? And so again, four kids, no money, no nothing. You don't, even, you don't know where you're going to live. You go into the city and you spend the first two days and two nights in a motel. And, and so Dad is crying out to God and he's saying, God, we need a place to live. I mean, if you're a single adult, it's fine to live in a motel, okay? Or just go out and do street ministry. It's kind of almost fun and exciting. But when you have four kids, it's not good, okay? So you need a place to live. And so he's crying out to God, God, we need a place. You have to give us a house. If this is really you, you, you must provide. And so he's reading his Bible one day, and he's reading in the book of Jeremiah, okay? And he comes across Jeremiah 10, verse 18. Here's what Jeremiah 10, verse 18 says. Oh, and I should give you some other background information there in just a moment. When we moved to Woodstock in the summer uh, there of, I think it was 1984, it was June of 1984, um, there was no vacancy. There was no places for rent available in the entire city. We had a real estate agent working for us. They said, it's impossible. You're going to have to wait till fall at the very earliest, okay? So there's not a single place available even. And real estate agents are working on this. There's nothing, okay? So we just moved there in faith. And Dad's saying, you got to provide for us. Jeremiah 10, 18 says this. So he's reading in his Bible one day. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will sling out the inhabitants of the land at this once. Okay? And when he reads Jeremiah 10, 18, this thing just goes, you say, how do you know it's God speaking? The verse will just come, it just cuts, goes right into your heart, and you know it's God. And so he's reading Jeremiah 18. 
He comes across, I will sling the inhabitants out of the land, and he just knows, the Holy Spirit just drives it deep in his heart that he's going to move, he's going to make a vacancy, and we're going to have a house to move into. Okay, I was just reading Dad's journal yesterday. I had him send it to me because I wanted to bone up on the details. I'm actually cutting out tons of details. This story is actually crazier in reality than what I'm even sharing today. And so anyway, uh, I, but I read in the journal that him and Mom, he was so excited about this verse, they danced around the table. I don't remember that as a kid. I, I probably repressed it. Uh, I'm glad I don't remember. But anyway, so I'm going to sling the inhabitants out of the land at this once. Okay, now, let's just talk about something here. Is this verse actually saying, I mean, does this ver- is this verse talking to the Dirksen family moving to Woodstock? No. Okay? Okay, and you can't, you can't use this verse. I mean, this year on your vacation, if you forget to make a reservation at a hotel, you can't show up and take this verse, in the name of Jesus, I'm just claiming, God, you're going to fling the inhabitants out of the land and you're going to get a room. No. I mean, if you read this verse in its context, God, what it's actually saying is, God is prophesying punishment on the Jewish people. He's prophesying the Babylonian exile. He says, you guys have been faithless and, sinned and filled with sin. I'm going to sling you out of the land, and I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. I'm going to punish you. Okay? So this does not have anything to do with the Dirksen family. But does what Dad got out of this, does it contradict anything in Scripture? No. It doesn't contradict anything. And when he read it, he gets this powerful, powerful impression. It's like you can hang your hat on it. God's going to do something. Well, what happened, okay? He goes and preaches on a Sunday, okay, which was the first. We had run some services already, but we'd been commuting to, to Woodstock. That, that Sunday, the second day in, in a motel, that Sunday was the first Sunday that we had a service there after we had moved, okay? And again, there's no vacancy. Well, a man named Roy calls up my dad in the evening, and, uh, and, he's, and he says, you, you got to come over here, okay? I think my neighbor just moved out of her house, Okay? Again, what are the chances? Woodstock is a, is a city of about 30,000, 35,000 people. We've got like, you know, five people coming to our church. There's no vacancies anywhere in the city. It just happens like, like one of the only people we know in that whole city, his, he happens to see his neighbor possibly moving out of her house. So we go over there and, that Sunday evening, and sure enough, the, the place is empty. There's no furniture in there, Okay. Now, of course, the landlord hasn't had time to advertise a vacancy. That's why it's very fortunate for us that this is happening on the weekend. Okay? Fortunate. And so we're thinking, well, I wonder, is this, place, is this place becoming vacant? Well, this woman actually shows up at the house while we're there. And so we ask her, are you moving out of the house? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm getting married in a month. And so we think, oh, she's moving in with her fiancé, you know, early. It's a little immoral, but we'll take advantage of it. That's fine, right? God's working. <laughs> but actually, no. She wasn't moving in with her fiancé early. Get this. She's getting married in a month, Okay? Just four days earlier on Tuesday, she gets this wacky idea out of nowhere. Just on Tuesday, gets this crazy idea. I'm going to move in with my friend, not my fiancé, not my mother, not my family. I'm going to move in with this other friend of mine. I'm going to move all of my belongings into my friend's house and live there for a month and then do it all over again in a month when I get married. (laughs) I'm just going to do this. Now, does that make any sense to you at all? That doesn't make any sense. You know what that is? God slinging people out of the land, okay? That's a slinging, okay? Now, I mean, I have cessationists. I get emails that are cessationists. God does not speak this way and all sorts of stuff. You can't argue with this. I mean, you take a step out in faith. You're in a motel for two days. God says, I'm going to sling the inhabitants of the land. It's absolutely impossible. And what happens on Sunday night? You get a vacancy. 
that just happens to be on the right day that it can't be advertised, nobody else can get it, happens to be right beside one of the only people you know. She just got the idea out of the blue a few days earlier and does something that makes no sense. That's God at work. It's God at work. And it's confirmation. So you can get confirmations like this. That confirmation gives you faith. It gives you something to hold on to. It gives you something to put your hat on and anchor yourself in. God did speak to me. When he gives you a personalized word, it's one of the best confirmations in the way that God speaks to us. Let me share another one with you. Okay, this one I shared, uh, I shared before a couple years ago. I want to do it again. There's just some mechanics in there again I want to draw out. Um, but when I was, I was eight or nine years old, and I, don't, I can't remember. I wish I had journaled better back then. I wish I knew exactly. But I'm just going to say nine years old the rest of the time. But it was eight or nine years old, somewhere in there. But anyway, when I was nine years old, I had a, a, a horrible fear. I had an absolutely horrendous fear of dying and going to hell. Okay, and, I, and it just, it was every night, I can remember very vividly, I can remember lying in my bed every night, and oh Jesus, I don't want to die tonight, uh, I don't want to go to hell, I was afraid, constantly this fear followed me everywhere, and every night I would lie in my bed, I would give my life to Jesus again, oh Jesus, come into my heart, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, I get saved night after night after night after night in my bed, okay, and this fear just wouldn't go away, and it would follow me through the day, and it would really attack me at night. And, uh, and so I went to my dad, and I, I, I'm trying to get relief. It's horrible to live in fear like that. It's horrible. And so I went to him, and, and so he showed me what the Bible actually says. It's a very good thing to do. It's important. It's the only thing he could do, really. He, he took me, so he took me, you know, Romans and, you know, and 623, 10-9-10, all those ones. He took me in the Gospels. He, he, he showed me how to get saved. He showed me what it means to be saved. He showed me what happens after you're saved. And he'd ask me, you know, have you done this? Yeah. Do you believe this? Yeah. Have you made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior your life? Yeah. Then he would say, then you're saved. And my mind totally got it. I, I totally got it. My mind understood what the Bible actually said. I knew in my mind that I was saved, but my heart just could not grasp it. And so I kept going to him and going to him, but you know what? I did not need my earthly dad to tell me I was saved. I needed my heavenly dad to speak it into my heart. And my earthly dad was wise enough to get that. And so finally at a certain point, he said, you know what? I can't help you. You're going to have to hear from God. Only God can speak to you in the way you need. I'm nine years old. Well, how do you hear God? In those days, we didn't have message series on listening prayer, okay? Have, you know, we didn't have books on listening prayer. We didn't say listening prayer because in the circles we were in, you were out of that circle the moment you said anything like that, okay? So how do you hear God? And how do you give advice to a nine-year-old kid who desperately needs to hear God's voice and nothing else will help him? How do you help him hear God? So dad gave me the best advice he could ever give me. He said, just read your Bible until God talks to you. That's all he said. He didn't tell me reading the New Testament. He didn't tell me reading the Gospels. He didn't tell me to read in Paul's epistles and nothing like that. He just said, read the Bible. So I thought, okay, I'm nine years old. I start in the Old Testament. That's the last place most of you would tell any nine-year-old boy who's afraid of hell to start reading, right? <laughs> and I want to stop there for just a moment. I want to just, just, let's think about this for just a moment. If God can give a word to a nine-year-old boy who knows nothing about hearing God, who's got no skills training in listening prayer or hearing God's voice, and he can hear God in the Old Testament, don't you think God wants to speak to you? There isn't a single person here today to whom, 
God can't speak to you. He wants to speak to you, and if you need a word from God, he will give you one from Scripture. There's only two things that keep us from hearing God. James 1, 5 to 8 says, anyone who needs wisdom, any person, any human being, if you're a human being and you need wisdom, you can ask God and he will gladly give it to you. There's only one thing in that passage that says it will keep you from it, doubt and unbelief. And there is unbelief and apathy. We have unbelief. We don't really think God will speak to us. And so we don't persevere in seeking, his, in seeking a word from him. And number two, we just have apathy and we just don't open our Bibles and do it. We're just sedated with the things of the world. So, but I was nine years old. No training whatsoever. I don't know what God's voice sounds like. I don't know what I'm looking for. I just have two things. Desperation and perseverance. And by the way, those are the two best tools for hearing God's voice. I have just desperation and perseverance. And so I needed to hear God so bad, and now I don't even have my dad to rely on because there was always this thought, dad's going to be able to fix me yet, and now I have nobody but God. And so every day I just start reading my Bible. I'm like, Lord, i got to hear. I'm so scared of hell. And I started reading my Bible, and I read chapter after chapter after chapter. And you would think, I mean, you would think with such a cute little boy who was so good all the time, you would think <laughs> God would have spoken to me on the first day, Right? You'd think God is just, he's going to speak to this kid immediately. And I read a ton of chapters that first day and nothing. I went to bed in a cold sweat, terrified of hell. And it was the same day on the second, on the third day, on the fourth day, on the fifth day, on the sixth day, on the seventh day, a whole week, nothing from God. I'm reading up to 19 chapters of the Old Testament a day. I'm just eating massive chunks of the Old Testament. I go through week one, I go through week two. I wish I'd kept, again, I wish I'd kept better journals. I wish I knew the exact time. It's, it's close to a month. I'm seeing God every day. Now think of how long that feels to a nine-year-old boy who's desperate to hear from God. He doesn't know how God speaks. He never, has never really kind of heard him before. Now looking back, I see that I had heard him before. But I didn't know what I was looking for. And every day for a month, you're looking to get a word from God and you're not getting anything. Sometimes you just have to persevere. That's what belief is. Belief shows itself when you just don't give up. And then one day, I'm reading in 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going, to get, I'm going to throw it up there, okay? And 1 Kings 8 is story. It's King Solomon dedicating the temple, okay? This, this chapter has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. And I come across 1 Kings 8.29, okay? And even as I was going over this verse this week, getting ready for this, it made me emotional because this verse, life-changing for me. One month, nine-year-old boy trying to hear God's voice. I read 1 Kings 8.29. And, uh, and here's what it says. May your eyes be open toward this temple. It's Solomon's prayer over the temple, night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there. Now, my name shall be there is a quote. Solomon is quoting Yahweh. Yahweh said he would put his name in the temple. This has nothing to do with Chris Dirksen being saved. None of you can even use this verse as assurance for your salvation. Some of you here today probably need assurance from salvation. You can learn from this story. But you can't use this one because in its context, that is not what this verse actually says. But when I read it, I'd been for a whole month seeking God with all my heart. And I'm just reading chapters of scripture. I come across this verse and I see my name shall be there. And the Holy Spirit ripped open a door deep inside my heart. And I knew that my name, Chris Dirksen, I could see Chris Dirksen in the book of life. And you know, in one second, all the stuff, all the help my dad tried to give me, my earthly dad could only help me in my mind, he couldn't help me in my heart. In one second, all the fear that I'd had for many, many months about going to hell was gone. I've been 24 years now, I have never once questioned or feared for my salvation since. That's a permanent word from God. 
You can't explain it any way, any other way. You just get a word that just goes straight to the deepest places of where you are, and you know it's not in context, but it doesn't disagree with anything. I mean, if I had gotten out of this verse that I could be saved apart from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word is worth nothing. But it didn't contradict anything from number one. It didn't contradict what the word actually said, but the Holy Spirit just opened up my heart, and now I had something to hang my hat on. I've thought about this verse many, many times over the years, and I've never had to question my salvation since. It's a personal word from God to you. And there are, there are I know many of you here today, that you actually, you need a word from God. You can get a word from God. It doesn't take skill. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to know 10 points. You just have to believe that God wants to speak to you and start to pursue him in, your, in his word. And when you have a word like that, it's way better than just a thought or a picture because it gives you that thing to anchor on. And you've got an actual piece of scripture. I'm going to let you listen now to an audio testimony. We'll finish this message with an audio testimony. Uh, in, in the summertime, uh, I love to listen to messages from other, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I'm always interested in other pastors and, and preaching and that sort of thing. So in the summertime, I'm, I'm always getting CDs and, and stuff from uh, other churches. And, and I ran across this particular message it's by a guy named Robert Morris. He's from Dallas in Texas. By the way, when I give a testimony like this, I'm not advertising for this man. I don't know everything he believes, Okay. Don't take this as, oh, Chris is saying Robert Morris is the greatest thing since sliced bread and now get all his messages, okay? I'm only, you know, advocating for this one testimony, okay? That's all I'm saying. This is a great testimony. And it's a testimony of, of how his daughter made a decision for what school she was going to go to. And at the end, very end of the testimony, it's seven minutes long. It's six minutes, 59 seconds. It starts a little bit slowly, but at the end, he's going to tie it all together uh, with an amazing word from Scripture. And it just shows again how God can speak to you through the Bible, right? So I just want you to listen. Ken, if you could throw that out there, that'd be great. I'll give you one more example. My daughter's 19 years old. She's gone to junior college, and we've been praying about a university. She wants to study theology. And so last year, when we found out that Dr. Mark Rutland became the president of ORU, I had something kind of leap in my heart. I thought, you know, that, that might be good because I know Dr. Rutland. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I was going to Tulsa to preach for Pastor Willie George, and Debbie and Elaine were going with me, and it was like a day before, I, two days before, I thought, hey, we're going to be in Tulsa. We've got a few hours. Why don't we tour ORU? So I said to my daughter, would you like to tour the campus while we're there? She said, yeah, love to. So we called Dr. Rutland's office actually the morning that we were leaving and said, hey, we're coming by. If Dr. Rutland has time, um, you know, we'd love to just spend a few minutes with him. Well, it, it, it comes about that he did have time. So when we got there, it was like God had orchestrated our visit. Everything seemed so peaceful. There, there was just, it was wonderful. And then when we sat with Dr. Rutland, he started talking. He talked to Debbie and me just a few minutes, and then he turned to Elaine. And when he started talking to her, it was like a clear voice, a, a, a godly uh, father-type, compassionate, but directional. He began to ask her about what is God saying to you? What are you planning to do? How are you going to prepare for that? And talking to her about school and about the timing of school as well, about things, things like that. So anyway, when we left, she said, boy, that was just, it was like God was just talking to me through him. So we got back, and the next day I said to her, okay, how do you feel? She said, I really feel like I, I, sh I should go. And we were talking about going in January. And so I said, well, okay, Elaine, here's what you need to do now. I need you to get a word from God. Her response was, 
I thought you were going to do that for me. Okay. Now, I've thought about that response because there are a lot of people that think I'm going to do that for them. Is that true? But can I, if you don't hear anything else in this message, hear this. You have a personal relationship with God. God does not want to talk to you through a priest. He wants to talk to you personally. And so I said, well, Elaine, I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to me too as your father. And I understand the place of delegated authority. But you need a word from God. Can I tell you? And I said, you know why you need a word from God? Because if you get up there and two or three months goes by and uh, you don't like your roommate and you haven't really developed as close of friends there as you have here and you have two papers and three tests due, you could feel like God's not leading you to stay. And if you have a word from God, you'll know. So you need a word from God. So uh, she said, well, how did I get a word from God? And so I told her, I said, well, here's what I do. I like to go away somewhere. Normally I go to a lake and I, you know, I, I put on worship music and then I write. I went through the same thing with her, okay? So the next day she went to a lake. <laughs> I, guess, I guess she figured, you know, God must be there because dad goes there a lot. So she went to a lake, she put on worship music and, and, she, and she came home from that. It was about three hours. And she came home, so just, she said, God spoke, God spoke. So I said, well, tell me about it. So she started telling me about the worship. She said, God told me these songs, these certain songs, I wrote them down. They're going to be special to you. If you get in a struggle, listen to these songs. She said, she said I was writing things, and things were coming to my mind, and I didn't know why they were coming. But she said one thing was, she said, I wrote, I feel like you have opened a door for me in Tulsa. I feel like you have opened a door. So she wrote that, and she felt like underlining, open door. So she underlines it, open door. Then she writes, and I feel like, Dr. Rutland was speaking right to me. I was surprised when he spoke to me because I thought he would just speak to my parents. But he turned and spoke directly to me. And she said, it was a clear sound that I heard when he talked to me. And then she wrote, um, uh, that this is kind of interesting to me though. Uh, this came to her mind. <laughs> when we were coming back, she said something about, you know, if God would lead me to come down here to school, and so later I said to her in conversation, I said, hey, Lane, just a little thing, just so you know, I w you don't refer to Tulsa as coming down to school because Tulsa's up, you know. Uh, it, you, if you went to Tulsa, you'd be going up. It's, it's north. And so, she, so when she's writing, she said, she said uh, something about um, if I were to, to go down, and then she remembered, so she marked that down and put up, okay? Now just think about all this. And then she said, but God, my main concern is, what am I going to do after that? Would you show me what the next step is too? I'm concerned about if I go, and I feel like I'm supposed to go, but what, what, what comes next? All right? And then right then she said, the Lord spoke. And I wrote down this thought. Listen to the thought she wrote down. The Lord said to her, I am about to give you a revelation that on the 4th, she's supposed to go on January 4th, the day this 4th, on the 4th will be the first of many new things for you. So she writes that statement down. She has this statement written down. I am about to give you a revelation that on the 4th will be the first of many new things for you. And she's looking at the statement. Now think about this. And all of a sudden she sees the words revelation, 4th, and 1st. And she remembers me saying, God's going to give you a verse. 
And she thinks, Revelation, there's a book called Revelation. <laughs> 4, 1. So she opens her Bible to Revelation 4, 1, and this is what she reads. Now watch this, watch. I've got it up on the screen. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open. Now she'd already written down, open door in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, which was Dr. Rutland's voice to her, she thought, was like a trumpet speaking with me. Not my parents, but with me. And watch this, saying, come up here. (laughs) And remember, her desire was, well, what's going to happen after that? Watch, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. That's good, eh? God can speak to you about all kinds of things, all kinds of different people, and all kinds of different situations, and he wants to confirm what he's saying to you through Scripture. There's no question. And so I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. We're going to do the membership then right away after this, and Tim's going to come up here. But I just want to pray for you, and uh, because God wants to speak to you. And there's many of you here today, uh, you need a confirmation about something you're about to do, maybe about something you just did, and God wants to give you a Scripture. And so I'm going to pray for you to have that. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I know, God, that we need, we need to hear from you. And uh, Jesus, I pray that this week you're going to give us faith to get into your word. Faith that translates into perseverance. Faith that translates into us shedding our apathy, makes us open up our Bibles and really pursue a word from you. And Jesus, I pray that you're going to begin this week. And it might not all happen this week, but it's going to begin this week. That as people in this church begin to seek a word from you, Father, you're going to begin to rain down Scripture passages as anchors for our souls. That we can take with us in hard times and down times, Father, we can know God did call me to do this. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in advance. In your name I pray. Amen.